it made ready. And they found the stone rolled back from the tomb. This first Easter morning, of course. But when they went inside, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed and wondering what to do about this, behold, two men, now this is angels, in dazzling raiment suddenly stood beside them. And as the women were frightened and bowing their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among those who are dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Now jumping down to verse 13, On that very same day, the day of the resurrection, behold, that very day, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, which is around seven miles away from Jerusalem. This was a good walk. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had occurred. And while they were conversing and discussing together, look what happened. Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, caught up with them and was already accompanying them. But their eyes were held so that they did not recognize who it was. Now you say, well, why would that be? Well, his resurrected body apparently looked a little bit different. And that's the only explanation I have. But so to them, he's a stranger. So the stranger said to them, what is this discussion you're exchanging, throwing back and forth between yourselves as you walk along? And they stood still. Now look at their condition, looking sad and downcast. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you will make the resurrection of Jesus more real to us today than it's ever been. And I pray you will touch the hearts of those who might be far from you. Draw them near. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Thank you for your goodness. And we pray in Jesus' name that if there's anyone actually lost, that you will find them tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him he is risen. You can be seated. It's good to see all of you here at 7 o'clock. This is our second service in four this weekend. And I'd come back to the other two just to hear that last song again. Now, let me just, let me just share something with you that jumped out at me about this story. And it is a historical account. This really happened after Jesus rose from the dead. These two disciples on the road to Emmaus were unknown to the rest of Scripture. We know one of them's name. It was Cleopas. And the other one, we don't know who he was. He's the unnamed disciple, the unnamed follower. We know they were not a part of Jesus' original 12. But they knew a lot about Jesus. They had followed him very closely, even though he was not, they were not a part of the 12. Now, when Jesus, who to them was a stranger, approached them, we found that their condition was sad and downcast. They were depressed. They were blue. They were troubled. And the reason for their state of mind is given to us in verses 20 and 21. It says, the stranger said to them, what's the matter with you guys that you're so down? And they answered, well, our chief priests and our scribes and our rulers gave Jesus up to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Now listen to these next words. But we were hoping. We had a hope. We were hoping that he was the one 
who would redeem and set Israel free. Now, they were under Roman tyranny. They were under those horrible uh, Caesars, Nero at this time. They were under bad oppression. It was like a communist regime. It was a dictatorship. And they had hoped for a long time that God would send his Messiah, and that Messiah would set them free from this kind of oppression. And we can imagine how you would want this to take place, how you would want God to do this for you. And they really believed that when the Messiah came, this is what he would do. He would take over, and he would move, and he would set them free. Now, here's what happened to them. Those words just scream at me. We were hoping. We were hoping for one thing, but something completely and totally different is what's actually happened. We're just really let down. See, we had this great picture in our mind of what God was going to do for us. We just knew when Messiah showed up and we thought Jesus was it, that when he showed up, that he was going to do what we imagined, set us free, overthrow the Caesars, overthrow the Roman government, and establish the messianic kingdom on earth. We just knew it. Our hopes were high. Our faith was strong. Our hearts were ablaze. We, we went out on a limb, and we dared to believe in a miracle, and now all our hopes are dashed because none of that happened. These two disciples were disappointed, disillusioned, and discombobulated. They didn't know what to do with what they had seen because in front of their eyes, Jesus had been beaten beyond recognition. The Bible is very clear about it, that they would look at him and wouldn't be able to tell who he was or even what he was. And then their hero, their leader, their inspiration, their hope, their Messiah was nailed to a cross in between two thieves. You have got to be kidding me. How could this be? How could our dream, our hope, everything we invested in end up in such a state? Now, once filled with faith, they're now tossed with doubt. They're beginning to second-guess everything. And I can just hear their minds as they walk down this road very slowly, seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're walking and they're talking and they're thinking and they're hashing all these things out. And believe me, it's not a real blessed, edifying conversation. Because here's what they were second-guessing. Were we fooled? Were we fooled? Did, did we somehow believe in a lie? Is that what happened? Did we misinterpret what Jesus was all about? How could we have followed him so long, so closely, and have totally missed what he was all about? I can't believe this is the way all of our hopes and dreams and vision and purpose, how it has all crashed like this. If, if he was truly who we thought he was and who he told us he was, how could this have happened? Do we literally throw away all of our time, all of our effort on a delusion? Do we follow a fantasy? And, and, and dare we ask, did we follow a fraud? These two disciples were experiencing the, the punch in the gut, if you've ever really felt it, of disappointed expectations. Pop! That's especially tough when it's your faith involved. You become convinced God's going to do something. I just know God's going to do it. I know that God is going to answer my prayer. 
I know that God is going to come through for me. God is going to do what I'm really asking him for. I just know it. My faith is high. I don't doubt him. I'm telling others what I know he's going to do. And then it doesn't happen. Disappointed expectations occur when God doesn't do what you thought he would, the way you thought he would, or when you thought he should. He just doesn't come through like you expected. Now, when this doesn't happen, when God doesn't come through like this, and and there's disappointed expectations, I've seen people respond in several ways. Let me just give you a few. And and we've all been there. I don't know about you, but I've been there. I, I have believed God for certain things, and And not only do they not happen, but the opposite happens. It's like, you got to be kidding me. And you wonder, where did I miss it? But when this happens to Christians, and and let me just tell you, we've had great turnout so far for this Easter weekend and these Easter services. But do you know that there are thousands upon thousands, and I would venture to say maybe a couple of million throughout the United States of America who will not be in church this weekend, who will, who will not be in prayer, who will not be in the Word because God didn't come through for them and they gave up on God. Some people, when this happens, conclude prayer just doesn't work. I was wrong about prayer. It just doesn't work. Or the God I thought was there isn't real. So I'm just, forget it. I'm just going to be lukewarm at best, but I'm not going to be all fanatical about this religious thing anymore. Or we conclude that we didn't have enough faith, and sometimes we got good Christian friends around us that will tell us that. You just didn't have enough faith. But I've learned that all you need is a little teeny mustard seed for God to move. But this is what happens inside of us in the theater of our mind. When God doesn't come through the way we thought, that's where these disciples were. Or we conclude, well, God's there, but he just didn't care like I thought he did. He's just not concerned about me. He's off throwing other stars into space or helping the big shots in the Christian world, but he he really doesn't care about me like I thought he did. Some people just give up on God and they walk away after experiencing disappointed expectations. They just walk away. Some remain in church, but the wind is knocked out of their sails. Their zeal is gone, the candle of their joy is extinguished because they just knew. And, and, and when God didn't come through, something happened to their faith. It was scandalized. It was, it was knocked reeling like a knockout punch. They go through the motions of religious life, but their spiritual life is hollow. It's empty. It's just not exciting anymore. You know, there's no smile. There's no skip in the step, no gleam in the eye because because. What you knew God was going to do, it just did not take place. That's where these disciples were. And, you know, some even turned to other religions, hoping for a different result. And you go out and you become a Buddhist, or you become this or that or the other. But you know what? It doesn't make any difference because, listen, it wasn't that God didn't come through for you. It's that he was doing something better, and you just didn't know it. Now, let me tell you what these two disciples decided to do. They decided, I can't handle it. I can't make sense of this. I can't logically pursue this. I, I, can't, I can't wrap my mind around it, so I'm going to retreat. And I'm going to retreat to a place called Emmaus. They wanted out of Jerusalem. They, they wanted away from the place where everything had happened. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but there are certain places you can go and they remind you of all your pain. 
They remind you of all of the hurt or, or the disappointment or the letdown or whatever. And so you want to avoid that place. And they wanted out of Jerusalem where everything had happened. Jesus beaten, crown of thorns thrust on his head, crucified on the cross. Their dream died in front of their eyes. I, I've got to get out of Jerusalem, away from the memories, away from the confusion, away from the pain. And they got out of Dodge. Only God knows how many people today are in the same boat. Prayer wasn't answered. A belief in, in, in what God was going to do didn't materialize. Or that loved one died anyway. Or the marriage failed in spite of your best efforts. You just knew God was going to save that marriage and it didn't happen. It failed. And you've been limping ever since. Or that certain door of opportunity didn't open like you just knew it was going to open. That door had your name on it. But instead it closed in your face. You're going... I can't wrap my mind around this. I don't know what to do with this. This doesn't make sense. Where does faith come in? Where does prayer come in? I just knew God was going to do it. What do I do now? Your faith is shaken. Your dreams are dashed on the rocks of bitter disappointment. We were hoping. We were hoping, the two disciples said. We were hoping. You want to know why we're sad and downcast? Because our hope is shattered. Our faith is like somebody took a needle and popped the balloon. The road to Emmaus. And let me be clear that Emmaus for them was a town. But you don't need a physical town to go to Emmaus. Emmaus can be inside of you. Emmaus is that place where you consider yourself to be safe, where you are anonymous, where you're not accountable where you're away from all the hustle and bustle and, and the challenges and, and, and the battle and the warfare, and, and you have retreated, and you can retreat to a geographical place, or you can retreat to a place inside of you, and nobody gets in. We were hoping, said the two, and, and, and they, they got on that road to Emmaus, that seven-mile journey, and these two were on a road that is full of pain and confusion and doubt. And maybe some of you are in Emmaus right now or you're on the way. And there are certain things you can't take and you don't know what to do. And this is a resurrection message. And I want you to know we're about to see that the resurrection healed these men and changed these men and turned these men around. So, so we're looking at the before. We're about to see the after. The good news today and the reason that we are here rejoicing over the resurrection of Jesus Christ is because there is also a road from Emmaus, not just to Emmaus because you're hurting, but because he lives, because he is risen, because he came up out of that tomb. There is a road from Emmaus back into Jerusalem, back into the will of God, back into your purpose, back into your destiny, back into the reason you were born. We later see these two disciples, the same two, who were sad and downcast, restored in their faith, their hearts ablaze with love for Jesus, and excited to return to, to Jerusalem and get back in the game. I hope I call some of you tonight out of a place called Emmaus, because as long as you stay in Emmaus, you are in Emmaus. <laughs> see, Emmaus is comfortable, it's safe, it's quiet, 
It's unchallenging. But the thing about Emmaus is the longer you're there, you slowly, day by day, die a little more spiritually. Emmaus is okay to visit for a little while, but don't build your house there. Don't buy insurance policies to cover you in Emmaus. Don't decide you're not going back into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the Holy Ghost fell. Jerusalem is where the disciples turned the world upside down. Jerusalem is where Jesus was moving. It's okay to go to Emmaus for a little bit, but then you got to get back in the game. I'm going to get this CD. I've been in Emmaus, and I'm going to tell you, you really are in Emmaus. In Emmaus. So I want to focus on what turned them around. What gave them their resurrection turnaround? Because they had a resurrection turnaround. Let me show you what happened. First, we see Jesus cared enough to find them. Now I want you to stop and think about what I just said. Jesus cared enough. Imagine, he just came out of the tomb. He's raised from the dead. He's holding the universe by the tail. He is Lord of lords, King of kings. Everything is submitted to his feet. He has finished what God sent him to do. The devil has been destroyed by the blood he shed. And yet, as a risen Messiah, he had two hurting, disappointed, disillusioned disciples on his mind. He cared enough to go find them. We read, while they were conversing and discussing together, Jesus himself approached and walked along with them. To them, he's a stranger, but it was Jesus, the resurrected Messiah. Bible says so. And what I want us to see is that Jesus was not apathetic to their plight. Jesus did not have an attitude, well, when you two get it together, come find me. You'll know where to find me. No. He sought them out on a lonely road away from the main city, headed to a country town when no one was around. He eased up to them because he loved them. He cared about them. And when you're walking down your road of pain and your road of confusion and your road of rejection, you're walking down your road of disillusionment and you don't know what to do and things aren't making sense to you, never let the enemy tell you that God doesn't care because Jesus is there. He sought them out. He walked with them down the road of their confusion. He entered into their pain. He did not want them to living, living the rest of their lives broken and defeated. He cared. Likewise, you may not see it or sense it. You may feel very alone in your struggles today. Maybe you're not here. Maybe this isn't really right to you for this moment in your life. But I guarantee you there's a lot of people listening to me right now, not only here but by radio, who have been disappointed, disillusioned, discombobulated, who can't wrap their minds around the way their life has gone. And the enemy's trying to tell them that God doesn't and didn't care. And I'm here to blow that out of the water by telling you that Jesus rose from the dead so he could enter your pain and walk with you in it. Jesus is walking with you on your road to Emmaus. He found them. I'm so glad Jesus found me. 
And every time I've ever been down, he has always found me. He's always approached me. He's always called to me. He's always let me know he's there. I won't fail you. I won't forsake you. When everybody else walks out, I walk in. I'm your friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'm there for you. That's the love of God. We can't comprehend it because we want to humanize God. And when we humanize God, we treat him like other people on earth who have wronged us, done us dirty, left us, rejected us, walked out when there was nothing more for them to get. But he's not that way. We also see that he listened to their troubles. What what I like about this, God's got a sense of humor. Jesus literally played dumb as they walked along. He eases up to them. They don't know who he is. They're walking. He can see that they're sad and troubled. And he says, why are you so sad and downcast? Well, he knew. Cleopas replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who has not heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Jesus said, I love this, what things? It was him that had been crucified. But he says, what things? What was he after? I want you to tell me what's hurting you. I want you to dump your pain my direction. I want you to tell me what's weighing you down. So like a broken dam, their troubles gushed out in a tsunami of confusion and disappointment and pain. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, you don't know about him? (laughs) Talking to Jesus about Jesus. Then they said, the mighty prophet? We just knew he was going to deliver us from the tyranny of Rome, and now we can't believe what has happened. Rather than conquer our oppressors, he was brutally beaten, crucified, and he died and they took him down, and they buried him. Why did Jesus play dumb? Here's why. Before they could be healed, they needed to unload their pain on him. See, as long as you keep your pain on the inside, you're going to continue to bleed on the inside, hurt on the inside, limp on the inside. And I think we don't go to the Lord with our pain because we think, if if I go to him and tell him everything I'm dealing with, he's for sure going to reject me. I have a saying here at the church. Two things God never says. Oops or well, I'll be. Nothing you can tell God where he says, well, I'll be. I didn't know that. See, before you tell him, he knows. He just needs you to tell him so you can unload your pain. And there's nothing you can tell him that will make him walk away. You you want proof? Listen to Psalm 62, verse 8. Pour out your heart to him. God is a refuge to us. Lamentations 2, 19. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Psalms 142, verse 2. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. Over and over again, the Bible says, tell God. Pour it out on God. Release it on God. Be anxious for nothing, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. We need to get to where when Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus, when he's walking with us in our pain, when we're really hurting and it's affecting our walk with him, we need to pour it out to him. If you need to do it a hundred times a day, do it. God will not be shocked. He will not care. He wants you to unload. And this is exactly what these two disciples did, though they didn't know who it was they were unloading on. But you know, they had more trouble than just the sight of him being crucified and him being beaten up and them not not understanding the way it all came down. There was something else that was chewing on them. And, And they said, I love this. They were confused about something they had heard before they got out of town. And here's what it was. They said, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. Leave it to women to astonish you. I'm sorry, ladies. Look at me and smile. I didn't mean anything by that. Did you know that it was women who discovered that the tomb was empty? It was women who first preached his resurrection. Women were so integrally involved in in the crucifixion and resurrection. Women were the only ones who had the guts to hang around the cross when he was crucified. You notice how I'm digging myself out real quick? Okay. Now watch this. These women, they astonished us. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, that's Peter and John, and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They said, what do we do with this? Not only was he crucified in front of us and our dream died, but now we got this rumor going around that he rose again. I can hear them. TMI, TMI, TMI. Too much information. How could such a thing be? Well, the stranger was quiet until they said that. And then the stranger looked at them with eyes on fire. And he said, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in the scriptures all the things concerning himself. Jesus preached Jesus to them. Jesus said, do you still not get it? Haven't you read the Bible that from Moses all the way through the prophets, it was said that the Messiah would come and he would die for the sins of men, that there is a universal disease in the human race and that disease is called sin and there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. He was, he was crucified for our sins. He was raised again for our justification This is what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to earth to suffer and die on your behalf and then to rise from the dead. Moses talked about it. All the prophets talked about it. Hello, where have you been? While you thought he had failed you, he was actually saving you by dying for you on the cross. You thought you had believed a lie, but you'd actually found the truth. You thought he had let you down, but he was actually picking you up. Now, what happens next is very important. Here they are, the three of them, and they're walking along. And now he's really telling them off and teaching the word to them. And suddenly they arrive at Emmaus. The journey is over. Seven miles, it's up. 
And the two disciples said, well, here's where we're going. And he acted like he was going to keep going. Now catch this, because this is where all of us live. Thanks, thanks. Hey, we're at our location here. This is where we stop. This is Emmaus. And that's the home we're going to be staying in. And it says that he did something like this. Okay, see ya. And he made as if he was going to keep going. Now, one thing you don't ever want is for Jesus to come knocking on the door of your life for Jesus to come and find you and love you and listen to you and minister the word to you and reveal himself to you. What you don't want after that is for Jesus to then pass you by. You don't want Jesus to keep on going. But see, I see something in the divine mind here. In the divine mind, there comes a time when every one of us must exercise faith and make a decision. Do I want him in my life, in my stuff, in my home, in my future? Or do I want him just to talk to me a little bit, sort of be a flat tire God, that when I'm in trouble, I call on him, but when the trouble's over, see ya, okay, Jesus, we'll see ya, until the next emergency. See, in the divine mind, that's why Jesus acted like he, he put on like he was going to keep on walking. He wanted to know what they were going to do. Here's what he was saying. You've heard me minister the word. You have been walking with me now for seven miles. Here's what I want to know. Do you want more or are you done with me? Do, do you want me to go away or do you want to invite me to stay? See, see I believe those are the two kinds of people that exist in the earth because I believe God approaches every single person on earth with the opportunity to turn to him. Suddenly, these two disciples are faced with a decision. Hey, did you see what I just saw, Cleopas? He, he's going on down the street. He's going to leave. And both of them jumped in. And they said three words that changed their life and got them back in Jerusalem and back in the will of God and healed of their pain. They said, Abide with us. Abide with us. Since it is getting late, abide with us, Lord. No, no, no. Don't go away. Abide with us. Abide with me. Come into my life, into my heart, into my home, into my stuff, into everything. I want all that I can get from you. I don't want you to pass me by. I was talking to a young man after the first service tonight. He was 21 years old, and he said he was crying, tears coming down his face. He didn't go to come down in the invitation. He didn't go back here, but he caught me afterwards, tears streaming down his face. He was from another state, and he was here visiting, and he said to me, Pastor Jeff, he said, that's exactly where I am. I'm 21 years old. I used to walk with God, but, but I have drifted. I've gotten into a place like you described in Emmaus. 
and I feel safe. I feel insulated. I feel like I'm out of the whole religious deal, but I'm, I'm dying in that place called Emmaus. I, I don't want the Lord to pass me by. I don't want to miss the opportunity to say to him, abide with me. And I said, young man, will you say to him tonight, abide with me? And he hesitated. I said, would you say it right now? And he said, yes. I said, can I pray with you? And he said, yes. And I laid hands on him and I prayed for him. And I sensed a struggle going on in this young man. I said, you want to invite Jesus into your life when you're young, when your whole future is ahead of you. You don't want him to pass you by because it may be 10, 15, 20 years, or maybe never that you have another chance like that. They said, abide with us. And you know what happened? He came in and he came into the home. He immediately responded to their invitation. He immediately came into the invitation. And, and, and it reminds me of what Jesus said in Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and, and we will share a meal together as friends. You see, Jesus knocks, but he doesn't knock the door down. He doesn't push it open. He doesn't force the issue. He says, I'm knocking and you must say to me, abide with me. Come into my heart, Lord. When they said those three words, their future was decided. Their destiny was decided. Their purpose was decided. Because when they said, abide with me, he came in and they sat at a table and Jesus, still the stranger to them, grabbed a loaf of bread and it says he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And I want you to listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. I can't describe to you what I'm seeing here. These two suddenly realized the enormity, the profundity of who was sitting right across the table from them. This was not a stranger. This was not a guy that knew the Old Testament scriptures real good. All of a sudden, their eyes got as big as silver dollars. And, and if you could have heard them scream, they would have screamed this. Oh my gosh, he is risen. It's him. Their invitation to him while in Emmaus made a road for them out of Emmaus. Now, where am I going with this? Here's where I'm going. Once their eyes were opened and they realized he was resurrected, that Jesus was risen from the dead, that was all they needed. When they realized, I am following a risen Savior, not a defeated Savior, not a dead Savior, not a good guy who now is gone, but I am following a resurrected Savior who defied death, hell, and the grave, who was raised from the grave by the supernatural power of the living God, who is Lord of lords and King of kings forevermore, and who is going to come back one day at the blast of a trumpet and the voice of the archangel. And history is going to end at the very person of Jesus Christ. Jesus holds all the keys, not the devil, not the flesh, not some dictator on earth, but history is going to end with Jesus Christ appearing in the sky and every eye shall see him and those who pierced him. And he's going to come and set up his own government on planet earth. And 
when they realized who it was sitting in front of them, the Bible says they said to one another as they connected the dots, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? It was familiar. They remembered that as they followed Jesus and he opened the word to them, he gave them Holy Ghost heartburn. You know what? Holy Ghost heartburn is a good thing. You don't need roll age. You don't need Tums. You don't need the purple pill. Holy Ghost heartburn is holy fire on the inside of you, holy passion, holy love that carries you all through every valley, every trial, every difficulty. It's that first love that pulsates in your being. Thank God that when you listen to Jesus, he sets your heart on fire. You know, I've been in churches where you could ice skate to the seats. And I said to myself, something is wrong here. Because the closer I've ever gotten to God, the more my heart has burned. You know what we need today? If I could just depart from my message a little bit and just preach a minute. Can I just do that? You know what we need today? We need Christians to get set on fire again. We need a whole bunch of them to come out of Emmaus, tear the house down that you have built in Emmaus, and get back in the game because the Spirit of God is moving. Your destiny is yet to be fulfilled. Don't give out now. Give God your pain. Give God your disappointment. And let Him set your heart on fire again. Listen, the world pays attention to a face with a smile on it, to a face with the eyes that are gleaming, to a body with a skip in the step, the world pays attention when you've got joy. I want to get away from this lukewarm or ice-cold Christianity and get back into the fire, into a house on fire, a church on fire, a people on fire. Some people come up to you and say, are you saved? No, but if you're saved, I don't want what you got. No, listen, all they needed to transform the road to Emmaus into the road from Emmaus was to know that Jesus had come back from the dead, that he was resurrected. They experienced resurrection turnaround because the resurrection turned them around. Amen. As the song says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. If he conquered death, hell, and the grave, there's nothing in your life or mine he cannot conquer. Can you stand up with me tonight? And in just a moment, we're going to dismiss, but I want you to, if you would, just bow for a moment in prayer. Perhaps today you're on the road to your own Emmaus. Your faith is shaky. You're disappointed with the way life has turned out. Or perhaps you've never personally invited Jesus to abide with you. Your future depends on what you do with Jesus. Your destiny hangs on those three words. Abide with me, Lord Abide with me. And there may just be one here tonight, maybe several, I don't know, but I know that if Jesus, freshly risen from the dead, would go and seek out two men 
who did not know what to do with their shaking faith, then he's still interested in one man, one woman, and wants to strengthen you tonight and wants to reinvigorate you tonight. And if you've never accepted him into your heart by saying, Lord, abide with me, would you come into my heart, into my home, into my life? You can do it tonight. With our heads bowed for a moment, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I am in one of those two categories. I have been hurt, I've drifted, whatever the reason is, and I've ended up on a road to Emmaus. It's a road of pain, and, and I want it to become a road from Emmaus back into God's purposes. Can I see your hand tonight? God bless you, and I want to pray with you tonight. I'm going to ask you to do something that I did 43 years ago. I was in jail as a 16-year-old. A preacher gave an invitation to a gospel message I had never heard. And he asked me, or asked all of us, anybody who wanted to say to Jesus, come into my life, to just walk down towards him. No one moved, but I did. And I'm going to tell you, as soon as I took one step, something began to happen in my life, and it completely altered my destiny. Totally put me in front of you tonight. God has a blessing for you. If, you. if you've raised your hand, I want you to slip out and come and stand here right in front of me. Don't worry about anybody here. We've all been there. But if you raise your hand, would you let me pray with you? I want to do that tonight. Slip out and come. And I'm going to wait for you. And if you've never accepted Christ into your heart, you could right now tonight say, Lord, abide with me. Abide with me, Lord. And he will come and abide with you. So we're going to sing just a stanza or two. And if there's a nudging on your heart, I want you to come. And otherwise, I want you to know tonight, whatever you're experiencing, because he's risen, you can face tomorrow. Amen? So let's sing a stanza or two. If you need to come, you come, and we're going to pray together. Thank you, Lord. Uh-huh.